0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Prior Caster. My name is Bob, and today I have with me Sir John Hargrave. Sir John Hargrave, I have, uh, well, the the funny thing about this is I would say, uh, out of everyone I've been talking to for this series, you are one of the original people who inspired me to do something. I don't know that I've ever divulged that to you necessarily, but... uh, You were doing a program called Computer Stew way back in the '90s, late '90s or mid '90s, I guess, late mid '90s maybe. Uh, Yeah, and uh, and it was an inspiration. Um, But today we want to talk about why you started. So I guess we'll just start with Computer Stew right out of the gate and um, tell me what was the uh, the reason for that even. That's so sweet of you to say because I thought that you inspired me.
1: So <laughs> we really, actually, yeah. So we started <laughs> out doing a comedy site called Zug.com, Z Z-U-G. U mm-hmm. and this was in 1995. Yeah. Uh, so this was very early days of the web. Very, yeah. And I remember one of the first, I felt like breakthrough interviews we had was with you and Miles for Static Radio. You guys interviewed us, my my uh, my partner and I, Jay, and uh, I just felt like we have really made it. This is the big time. We're being interviewed for a real radio show. <laughs> yeah. So, little did little did you know. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so you guys were very kind, and uh, and and we really appreciated that. But at any rate, I'm glad I inspired you. So Zug.com uh, went on for many years, probably 15 years, and mm-hmm. Um, as I said, it was, it was, I think, the first comedy site on the web. Uh, it was one of the very first blogs. And then we did one of the very first uh, internet TV shows. So this predated YouTube. Mm-hmm. And uh, this TV show uh, that we did was a daily video comedy bit about three minutes long that we produced and distributed entirely online. We called it a TV show to make it seem legit, but it was really just a web show. And uh, the funny thing was, since there was no YouTube, you actually had to download the video file, which might be like 300 megabytes. And everybody was dialing in on these tiny little dial-up modems. So it took you about, you know, let's say three to four hours to watch our three minutes of comedy. So I will say not the best viewer experience, but we did that for about a year and a half and learned a lot about doing it during that time. And I hope Just like with Zugg, we laid the groundwork for a lot of blogs and a lot of comedy sites that followed. I hope with Computer Stew that we laid the groundwork for a lot of the the YouTube programming that's that's out there today.
0: Actually, you're better. You were better than YouTube programming even today. (laughs) I would say.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Honestly, your format and everything. I mean, considering uh, it was all off-the-shelf kind of a situation. Uh, it, it, I mean, I was surprised now, at least I didn't find it, but I kind of poked around a little bit looking for the old videos. Are they anywhere to be found?
1: In my closet. <laughs> They're all in my closet uh, on CD-ROMs. The, um, the, well, the, funny, the, the funny story about Computer Stew was, um, so we started Zog.com as a side hustle and I had a day job at this company called ZDNet. They're still around at big computing, ZDNet.com. And uh, so as Zug grew in in traffic and audience and reputation, I pitched this idea of a daily video show. And I said, you know, video broadband's coming. You really need to start investing in video content. So we pitched this as a daily comedy show around some computing topic, basically, because that's what ZDNet does, their computing site. Um, Now, it was almost never related to computing. (laughs) <laughs> except <laughs> that I shot it from my office in at ZDNet headquarters. So it had this very sort of underground kind of guerrilla feel to it. Cause I'm shooting it while all this very serious business is going on um, all around me. And uh, so somehow they let us do this for like a year and a half. And we would do the most insane thing. I mean, like we would trash computers and the, we would throw these massive parties We had we hired like choreographers and we did like a whole dance number on the conference room tables It was constant insanity. And uh, and and it was programming back in the day. So we did put a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of craft into that show. So I'm glad you remember it fondly. I do, too.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I uh, the lucky thing for me was at least uh, at the time. I had uh, I worked in an environment where I had very fast uh, compared you know compared to the day not but very fast internet connection, and so it, to get to three minutes only took me about you know an hour rather than three hours. <laughs> yeah, instant. and and yeah, it was instant. And I would uh, download it and then uh, during the day and watch it over lunch. That was my uh, lunchtime uh, hobby for a while. There was to watch your show. And you did such uh, interesting things on what was a shoestring budget. And I I thought, you know, they're doing this, you know, what, why am I so lazy? (laughs) You know, they're, they're accomplishing this, which I can't imagine at the time doing it on a daily basis was such a pain in the neck. I mean, it had to be a horrible experience at times because I know uh, from the time period working just in video in general uh, at that time period that it was not uh, always fun and games like it is now. You you had a tape that you had to go and digitize and you shot everything on tape. I'm almost certain at that time period there was not anything straight to digital. No. And so there's a lot of different things to go through.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you, you, you recognize that because not only did we have to shoot it on tape, bring it into digital, into Adobe Premiere, which was the worst software application ever, yes. constantly yes. crashing on us. And we had video this video editor who worked with us, Al, one day melted down and pulled over a bookshelf full of tapes because Adobe was so hard. But yes. then we also had to script it. We had to mm-hmm. shoot it. We've often had like exterior shots, we had to do or we had to bring in special guests and so on and so forth. And that was every day. So it was relentless, it was a real grind, but, um, and, and we have advertisers and sponsors, we had to shoot their stuff. It, it, and we had a, a staff of maybe four or five people, I wanna say, <laughs> but uh, what a great learning experience it was. And I think a lot of the, the systems and processes we put in place are exactly what they use today and you know, YouTube shows.
0: Yeah, it, it is just amazing. I, I was I was blown away um, by just being, you know, able to view it. I mean, it was, and to me, I'm like, yes, this is the future. I mean, it's it's early, um, but it is the future of how things are going to be. Um, but it's so it was so difficult in that time period. I did a thing. Um, just, to, and I know I'm, I think my internet's being goofy on you because you're stuttering on me. But the, um, I did a thing at that time period called, uh, uh, I think it was Here Comes the Pope, uh, because the Pope was coming to St. Louis where I uh, was at. And I interviewed people in the office for Here Comes the Pope uh, <laughs> and put it out there around that same time. And it was a pain in the ass, frankly. I mean, first of all, you got to get people to talk, but uh, beyond that, getting it all together and sticking it out there on the internet at the time was, uh, and that was just, it was just me. It was no fun. And I wasn't even on a schedule. I just said, (laughs) I said, these guys are doing this. I'm going to do this thing called here comes the Pope. And, and, you know, I mean, I did it and I was happy and everything, but uh, in a way I was like, why am I doing this to myself?
1: Well, Bob, I've learned so many things about doing content on the web for so long. And and that's one of them is it's a lot of work and especially doing something good, doing good content. It it does take a lot of hard work and it's very tedious to put it together, to assemble it. Um, You can start out really excited. You can do the first day of your blog. Everybody's gung ho. But then after two weeks of doing it, most people lose interest because they understand it's a lot of work. But if you stick with it and you do it day after day, as you guys did with like static radio, then over time, you really do build up your craft and you start to contribute something. It is very rewarding to have people come in and start to like or comment or follow or smash that subscribe button. But it's also very rewarding to hear things like this, like decades after the fact that like, yeah, that was really inspiring for me. And it kind of made me want to go do something and create something myself. That's awesome. You've, You've made my day.
0: So you decided to do this and like you mentioned, you did it for a year uh, and a half or so. What was, what was your thinking? What was your end game on this? What was your like, oh, we're going to do this and it's going to be what?
1: Well, we, it was ahead of its time because we saw broadband was coming. We saw that video programming over the web was going to be the future. We were right about all that. We were wrong on the timing. We thought it was gonna happen a lot faster than it did. But again, we worked at a technology company, a computer publisher, and I think all the analysts at that time were very excited about broadband and they were probably over predicting it as well. So YouTube did come about and it was just a few years after we had to end the show. But then meanwhile, the dot-com crash happened and you know, ZDNet ended up laying off half of its staff. So we went through some some dark periods. But then eventually, out of that wreckage emerged YouTube and broadband and all the things that everyone had predicted. Now, many of the things that we we had purposefully built in, like for example, we said every episode should be no more than three minutes, because that's the right bite size amount of content for the web. Like we don't have to stick to TV formats where everything is half an hour. Let's just make it three minutes, a bite size. Like you said, you're watching it over lunch. So that today, if you go look at like the majority of like YouTube content, it is sort of in that three minute range. That's the sweet spot. So, and, you know, doing it on a shoestring and having really rough editing, not having to worry about like cutaway shots, but just cutting it and just to having these sort of quick jump cuts, all that sort of stuff that we pioneered is today just the way it's done um, on YouTube. So that's fun and that's satisfying to look back at that. Like, okay, we we I think we had an impact.
0: Yeah, now I'll tell you. I wish I was paying more attention. I mean, you're you're telling you're saying this now. I totally understand it at this point and everything. But I, the I'll tell you a short funny story on on my side of things. When YouTube was introduced, yeah, uh, I was uh, I, I got an account. I got on quick, just like you did. And I was, I I made some stuff just for YouTube. I made this thing called free parking, which is a little, uh, basically a little film about uh, weird people dealing with parking spaces. But anyway, I was so excited. I put it out there and so forth. And the, here's the, here's the rub within week, two weeks, they used to have this thing on YouTube, which was YouTube. Uh, the, the the guys who, who made YouTube, I can't remember their names now, but uh, put up their favorite picks They put up, uh, put up their favorite videos. They put up a video of a building being imploded uh, off the coast, on the coastline of uh, Florida near um, uh, uh, Clearwater, mm-hmm. Tampa. That was my brother's, and he took it with a flip phone, and it was like a two-minute video that he shot from a boat. On a flip phone, he had no idea that I was yeah. doing anything. We had not talked. He was in Florida going to school. Yeah. Uh, and he got, when I, he's like, Oh, my friend says, Go on this boat. We're going to watch this building explode. Takes out his flip phone, shoots a video, front page of YouTube. <laughs> he said, I'm glad I put so much work into my parking. Exactly. Street. Exactly. And, but that's what it is. That's what it is. And I didn't learn from that lesson either at that point.
1: (laughs) Well, here's what I'll say to all the uh, content creators today or people who are thinking about getting into this, which is um, when it takes a while. And I think that's good. I think it's a good thing. So your brother was a waff, but your brother couldn't repeat that right he can, no. you know, like he couldn't just be going and filming no, he, and imploding i guess he, he didn't even
0: have any idea who was on the front page till i told right. him which was even more angering yeah <laughs> so so it takes a while and
1: when we did zug.com um, this again was one of the first blogs ever i wrote a daily comedy column for this website zug.com it was before the word blog was even a word and i must have done that for 4 years a daily column Monday through Friday for four years before we got any traction at all. And then we got featured on the homepage of uh, collegehumor.com, which at that point was this massive comedy site. And that just brought in a ton of traffic and suddenly like our site went supernova and then things got much easier. But that was four years of writing this blog and just honing the craft and just getting better every day. So I'm very grateful for that experience because you know I learned to write and everything I've done since then, I've written five books. Um, I've now like started a company where we do content for other companies. So we oversee hundreds of writers and I've developed a whole training program to teach them how to write for the web and so on and so forth. All that came out of that just humble, creating content every day, putting it out there, <laughs> trying to promote it, hoping something would happen. And eventually, if you stick with it long enough, it does always. Come. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and I was going to say, do you, I mean, do you want to talk about some of your books and things? I mean, I know I interviewed you again uh, when you did put out Prank the Monkey. Uh, yeah. Now, your, your newer books are a little bit more uh, away from uh, kind of the content that I would cover. But uh, tell us about them. Tell us what yeah, you well, I'll doing. tell you how I
1: got my first book deal because this is relevant. So at that time, I'm, I'm writing this blog every day. Uh, we, we start to get some promotion. Um, and as I said, once we got that first big mention, things got a lot easier. And then we started, you know, occasionally MSNBC would call and say, hey, you wrote something about, you know, smoking. So will you come on and do a segment about smoking for us, et cetera. So then you start getting like, it gets a little bit easier and people start calling you. But one day I get this email in my inbox and it basically says, Um, I am an editor with Gallery Books, and I am wondering if you are interested in publishing a book with us. That was it. And uh, Mm. you get used to a lot of just weird requests. So I thought like this guy is probably not for real, but I looked him up and we talked and he was. So his name was Jeremy Ruby Strauss, and he had this brilliant insight, which was if I go sign up. Uh, popular bloggers on this new emerging blog medium, they will actually sell books because they have a built-in audience that they've already built. Um, And today, this is just common sense in the publishing industry. You have to have some kind of platform before you can get a book deal. But back then, this was a really revolutionary insight. And so uh, we did a book deal, and that, that turned into my first book, Prank the Monkey, and I'm very proud of it. Jeremy, Ruby Strauss has remained my editor ever since um, he went to Simon and Schuster, um, and I've published several books with him since then, um, I think the world of him. He's just a great guy very brilliant very visionary. And again, all of that came out of that just blogging just every day writing something getting better and better and better at the craft of doing it. <laughs> day in and day out until finally, you know it, it paid off.
0: And and like you said you've built now media shower is your company now MediaShower.com. and you had media shower though from what i recall even back in the zug days yeah uh, media shower was something that you um at least you had the url or whatever back then i know that but so but it had to morph i'm assuming you weren't just doing what you're doing now back then were you yeah, no, you
1: did your research on this. I like it, Bob. Look, well, at I
0: kind of I kind of lived it a little bit
1: doing the deep <laughs> research. Yeah, so Media Shower was always our corporation that we used to for all these various publishing ventures. So mm-hmm. zug.com was actually the first kind of Media Shower product or website if you will. Mm-hmm. And over the years, then um, I went back to uh, got my business degree, MBA, and then um, said "Let's let, to my wife, I said, let's try to make this a, a full time business. So uh, we saved up some money. Um, she quit her job and became our full time finance and accounting person. And then I quit my job and we went to do media shower full time. So by that point, we had realized, boy, a lot of the ways that we've learned to do web content could be applied to like business or corporate websites. So that's essentially what we did was took everything we had learned from publishing Zug.com and computer stew, um, and then translated that into doing really great, compelling content for our clients. And uh, it's been a terrific ride ever since then. We have a, an incredible team um, of full-timers. And then we've got this huge global freelance team of writers who work for us as well. And again, all of that came out of just following my passion in the early days, starting that comedy site and just doing it. And from that, you know, all of these, these terrific things have, have, have emerged.
0: Now, I know the comedy thing, I mean, you don't do, at this point, you don't do all comedy, uh, stuff, but I'm I'm assuming just uh, judging from your personality over this time that there still is comedic things that get interjected. Um, you had asked me during COVID to, to put a little videos together about COVID, which uh, I gave you. Thank a couple you, of thank things. you for helping
1: with that. That was great. Yeah, uh,
0: but uh, but how do you now that you you know we'll say you're a I'll do the serious businessman. How does the comedy from your roots uh, leak into this?
1: So being funny is a real benefit. It's just a help in whatever you do. Just like being able to write is a real benefit. I think these are skills. And I I look at life as kind of, um, I I got this term skill stacking from uh, the the writer Scott Adams. He talks about like over, over the course of a career, your lifetime, you can just keep stacking skills and, and it's often the combination of those skills that makes you really valuable or makes your career you know, really interesting and useful. So for me, again, it started with writing, learning how to write, and then comedy as well, being able to be funny. So now we do a lot of work in this um, uh, blockchain space, which is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in this new financial system. It's not funny. It's not, it's not comedic.
0: Nope, it's not funny. <laughs>
1: but at the same time, I can... Explain these very difficult concepts in a way that's very interesting and relevant and funny. And in so doing, I have like this superpower that nobody else has because everybody else tries to explain it and they just sound like boring geeks. Yeah. You
0: know? I, I fall asleep. And so,
1: so, so, and this is not something that's special to me. It's like anybody can develop these, these superpowers. You take what you have and then you try to constantly be adding to that skill stack. And then Mm. you take that stack and you apply it to whatever it is that you're doing, your calling or your career. And that's what you uniquely can bring to the table that nobody else can. So it's that pursuit of kind of authenticity of who we are and bringing our full selves into it that I have found to be really fulfilling. And people appreciate it because they're like, okay, this is a real genuine person that I can actually kind of relate to and that can help me understand this stuff.
0: So now we're adding motivational interviewing or no, ah. motivational speaking. Sorry, not interview, motivational speaking to your uh, skill stack here. This is very motivational uh, talk you're doing here, John.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad. I, I mean, it is motivating for me, though. Like, it is very much like I, I wish somebody had been there to explain all this stuff to me in the early days. But I was lucky enough to find a lot of books and have a lot of mentors. Who kind of helped me get this um, along the way, and and you know now at this point I hope to give back a little bit.
0: Wow, my gosh, you hit, you hit all the high notes here. I'm, I'm okay, well, I'm for done any- then. Thank, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> well, I, I do have miles. a few other here questions. You here. Okay. No oh, drop of the miles. Okay. <laughs> I do have a couple of other questions uh, for you. So. Um, so what I'm surprised by is, uh, so you've moved into this blockchain space, right? Yeah. And uh, I could just—we're uh, getting off our, our topic just a little bit with talking about this because we're a little beyond uh, kind of the focus of this usually. But Bitcoin, right? So you saw it coming. I saw it coming. Uh, you were obviously more interested in it, right? And. Ha- are now working in that space and so forth. Um, so the next thing is NFTs, right? Where's computers too? It's an NFT, isn't it? That's
1: a great point. We should re-release it as NFTs. I didn't think about that. Well, let's
0: see that I, I was doing my research on all this. And, um, these are areas that you and I have never discussed really. And, um, And so I'm like NFTs. And I I have a a son who's uh uh, in college, a freshman in college, sophomore in college. And I'm like, you know, know about these NFTs? He's like, what? And I'm like, this is you gotta learn about this, right? So I'm reading, I'm reading your stuff about this, and um and trying to talk to him about it. And I'm like, this this is the next thing, right? This is the Bitcoin coming forward. And and then he's like, well, what's an NFT? And so then I'm like, well, I don't even really know. I have to read some more about it. But what we're talking about is basically anything you can create essentially could be an NFT. Is that correct? Or am I wrong in my assumption there?
1: Yeah, no, that's right. I, l- let me start back with the Bitcoin story and then, and then we'll work. Our oh, way sure. No,
0: because I'm jumping it, ahead.
1: Yeah, no, it's fine. So the through line with all this was so I did. I did a uh, uh, Zugg.com. I did a uh, computer stew. I, 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 I formed Media Shower. And then along the way, I think this is about 2013, my wife and I heard about this, this new digital currency called Bitcoin. And I did a lot of research into it. And I said, I think there's something here. I think we should go buy some. Where,
0: where did okay. you hear about it though? I'm very curious. I think actually my
1: friend Jay, who was my original mm-hmm. business partner in Media Shower and my co-host on Computer Stew, right. I think was the one who turned me on to it. Oh, okay. I'm just uh, and he's always been my sort of fellow lover of tech and kind of just thinking about the future. So uh, I did my research and my wife and I went to our local bank to send a wire transfer to Belarus. That was how you bought Bitcoin. And I didn't even know where Belarus was on a map, but we fortunately uh, got the Bitcoin. It actually was transferred to our digital wallet and then we just held on to it. So when we bought this chunk of Bitcoin, the price of a single Bitcoin, kind of like the price of a stock was $125. So $125 per Bitcoin. We bought a bunch of Bitcoin. And um, I think four years later, the price was worth $10,000. Right. Yeah. And I looked at my wife. I said, this is the greatest investment we've ever made. Let's go all in. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) What we did was pivoted the company. So we took this media shower marketing company that we had, and we decided we're going to go all in on uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And uh, so, in the time at the time, it made sense because it was 2017. The price of Bitcoin was through the roof. It was it was crazy times, and it worked really great uh, for about three months. And then the price of Bitcoin plummeted, um, and All of these new clients left. Uh, We had to lay off almost all of our staff. And then things got really bad. (laughs) And this lasted for a year, maybe a year and a half. They called it crypto winter. Um, We had a second mortgage out on our house. We were down to our very last payroll before we had to like shut it down. Everything. Oh, it's horrible. It was horrible. It was terrible. The darkest, uh, darkest days. Somehow we held in there and ended up building it back. We rehired an even more amazing team. And today Media Shower is bigger and stronger than ever. And about, I would say a third of our business is crypto, about a third of it is finance, and about a third of it is technology. So what we really learned was kind of to diversify our client base. And at the same time, we learned to diversify our investments The moral of the story was you don't want to go put your kid's college fund into bitcoin what you really want to do is put a percentage a small chunk maybe Mm -hmm. 10 percent into bitcoin and do the rest into a more diversified like stocks and bonds and things so that was a great but very painful and difficult lesson for us to learn and ever since then that's been the message that i've tried to speak to you know preach to everybody is like all the kids who are getting into this don't go you know yolo your life savings into some like Dogecoin or right. into an NFT, but try to think about this as a long-term investment with really valuable digital assets.
0: So that now we're up to NFT then at this point. So my question, computer do.
1: <laughs> yeah, so and I, think, N- yeah, NFT. I think, and, and NFTs are kind of the new bubble to me. So I like, I've seen this movie before. This is exactly what happened in 2017 and 2018. <laughs> right. And and I now know the danger of getting too heavily into this. So I talked with one of my friends yesterday, and he he bought one of these first NFTs back in 2018, and he wrote a blog post about it. And I said, did you hold on to it? He said yes. And um, I said, how much is it worth today, this NFT? And he said, um, four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now. Let's be clear. What he is a JPEG. It's like a graphics file. It's Mm like a tiny JPEG. It's not even a big one of this little crypto punk, which is this like sort of digitized eight bit looking character, a JPEG, Mm -hmm. $450,000. And I'm like, I think you should probably sell the crypto punk. Probably. (laughs) I think you should take the money and go put that into a uh, retirement fund. tomorrow. I don't
0: think that I could wait until it got to be that worth that much myself. Yeah,
1: exactly. So so that is my caution to people about NFTs is, again, this is likely a bubble. There, there's really no underlying value, which is mm-hmm. not the same as like Bitcoin and Ethereum and a lot of the other cryptocurrencies that really do have underlying value. Like people are building things on top of them. They're like operating systems. Like NFTs do not have any underlying value. You're buying them essentially for the bragging rights or you're buying them kind of for the status symbol. So we we think about those very differently. Now, that said, the technology behind it is super interesting. So your idea to go back and, you know, kind of mint exclusive versions or collector's editions of some of this classic content like our computers do comedy series um, is very interesting. And I think that will probably come in time. But Right now, I'm in no hurry to jump on the bandwagon either as a creator or as a um, as an investor.
0: So uh, with this, with this, sorry, we're gonna have to take question now. I didn't mean to push us into this territory, but now that we're talking about it, um, so he's got. You mentioned this little um, icon or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, it can you? Is it like copyright? Is it like give you any powers Thank to you say if you want to use
1: it? No it is not. In fact, you can't even license your own NFT. So the way these work now is the creator still owns the copyright and the creator owns the license. So this CryptoPunk, this little original 8-bit artwork that he has, Mm -hmm. he couldn't even put it on a a t-shirt and sell it, for example. You right. know, if you had licensing rights or if you were getting royalties, like if we resold Computer Stew and you then got royalties from mm-hmm. like any, you know, streaming views or things like that, that to me is a really interesting kind of investment um, opportunity. But right now, that's not the way they work. I think all of this will change. Yeah. But, um, you know, look, I'm the early adopter guy. Obviously, I'm here in the that's early right. days of all this stuff. And I'm saying, you know, be very careful about this space until it matures uh, a little bit more. And, and, and we see this as a better kind of investment opportunity for, for people who are looking to make money with it.
0: How interesting. I, I guess when I was reading uh, things, I was just assuming that it gave you some type of rights for the character and that you could leverage those rights somehow um, in order to... There's the value, you see what I'm saying? But basically, you're talking about beanie babies, but even with a beanie baby, you at least have a
1: beanie baby.
0: Right, you have a physical. So you at least baby. have a
1: darling plush toy that you can cuddle with as you sleep. Mm. You do not have that here. Now you do have a graphic that you can use in your Twitter profile. But guess yeah. what? Newsflash: you can use any graphic in right. your Twitter profile. So again, or, <laughs> you're, you're really good for the bragging rights.
0: I can rip it off and make it have blue eyes instead of brown eyes and say, that. yeah, I made it.
1: Yeah. So so people are are hoping that other people will continue to think this way and continue to buy them in the future. But that said, the technology behind it, like I said, I think is super interesting and it's going to be a yeah. really great way to start monetizing content um, like we've been doing for years that, that just hasn't been available in the past. And yeah. that part I love, and I'm, I'm very excited about that.
0: Well, cool. Well, if uh, folks wanted to, I mean, I just searched out and, and read some articles that you had written. Is there a specific place that folks should look for things from you nowadays? Uh, well, it's a search
1: engine called Google. <laughs> and uh, if you go type in my name, I have an Google. exclusive. Yeah, I have a deal with them where if you type in my name, it brings up everything I've ever written. Interesting.
0: Yes, well, John but I mean, you I don't have them, like one I paid them outlet.
1: $100,000 a month for that. I don't know if you've ever heard of this licensing. Deal I think you
0: I think you should have bought that little uh, <laughs> NFT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but you don't have like a regular like Zug or, or anything like that. You don't have a regular, and, and, and Zug is no more. So, so it's not there, is
1: have, it? Today we have a, uh, a, a blockchain investing site where we talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. It's called Bitcoin Market Journal. So BitcoinMarketJournal.com, and I write a, a weekly column for that, and we have a free daily newsletter, which oh, okay. I edit as well. So we, we basically teach people how to think about this new emerging world of Bitcoin and crypto investments, including
0: NFTs. Now, on that subject of Googling, because I did Google you, uh, you don't have an IMDB credit? I'm surprised.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess that's more. Uh, I, I haven't been in any feature films, perhaps. Yeah. No, but
0: but you you could have an IMDb credit for what you've already done.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, we'll we'll go talk to the IMDb. Uh, you need
0: to put you tomorrow. need to put that on your to do list. <laughs> Sir John Hargrave needs to be on in IMDb uh, for something. Yeah. For something. Okay. I, I, you've done enough things at this point, like. 20 years ago to put you on there. But, yeah. The
1: uh, funny thing is I'm not, there's a Wikipedia stub for me, but not a Wikipedia page. So I, I have, noticed
0: that as well. I uh, did. Yeah, so
1: I have like a paragraph that says, if you're looking for John Hargrave, the humorist, Mm-hmm. go see zug.com so zug does have a uh, a wikipedia page but that's uh yeah that's that's always funny to me there was another john hargrave who lived i think it, in the 1900s yes also an author and so many times google confuses my books with his so it also lists me as dead which right college, yep. i am not yet um so well, lot you of- are
0: in outer space today so it may be momentarily <laughs>
1: For those of you listening to podcasts, I am actually broadcasting on a black background, making are, it look like I am in space.
0: You know, you know, we have Coke, Pepsi, we have Bezos and uh, Musk, and you know, there's always a third one, like RC Cola or Dr Pepper. That's right. John Hargrave <laughs> is the third in the space race. You just yeah, maybe it. that'll
1: get my Wikipedia page up there. The first internet humorist to space.
0: To space. Yeah. You know, Shatner made the actors, you know, Canadians. So maybe you'll be the first one uh, into space as the, as the internet humorist. So that'd be
1: pretty boss. Do you, uh, do you want to go to space, Bob? What do you think?
0: No, I will. I was, my reaction when they said Shatner's going to space, I said, well, this must not be such a terrible ride. The guy's 90 years old. Yeah. Yeah. They must have just strapped him into a chair with a diaper and said, here we go. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. No, I don't want to go to space. I don't think so. Maybe uh, like uh, James Doohan went to space as ashes, but that's about it.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to buy a ticket, but okay. Let me hang on. Oh, well, that I would rather you bought me TV. a little uh,
0: postage stamp uh, graphic that's worth a little more. Uh, but, uh, hey. Yeah, a, a CryptoPunk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well john Har- sir uh, i'm gonna still call you sir john hargrave thank you very much for being on the show today and uh folks he's a prior caster he's before all this ever happened and uh and he's going to be here after we move on to the next thing as you can tell he's all he's been on the cutting edge he's still on the cutting edge thanks john bob
1: thanks for all you do for the long partnership friendship. And for this great podcast, thank you.